There's no place like home, as you can imagine. But also, to me, I felt like I needed to get to my house, my safety zone. And, well, now that plants a seed of learning I get agoraphobia. I didn't know what the hell agoraphobia is. It's the best way to describe it to people is like, I can leave my house for a short amount of time, but beyond a five mile radius, I, I, I had a race back home. Hello and welcome to another episode of Bunny Hugs and Mental Health. I'm your host, Todd Rennebaum. Hey, I got a really great episode here for you. I'm speaking with Mike Wallow and he had a pretty serious accident about 15 years ago. It was so serious, in fact, that, I mean, he crushed his head. He had 10,000 pounds and it crushed his face and it took a long time mentally uh, as well as physically to get back to normal. I mean, he's still suffering today from from different things, but he, in particular, he he suffered from agoraphobia, PTSD, anxiety, depression, partly because his face became disfigured. Uh, but we'll talk all about that. Uh, next week, I'm speaking with two people, Jake and Emily, and they are a couple. Jake suffers from antisocial personality disorder, Emily with borderline personality disorder and OCD, and they are both just amazing, incredibly sweet people who are trying to inform the world what it's like to live with a very serious cluster B personality disorder. So stay tuned for that next week. Also this week is the first week of giving away free money. $25 gift card for co-op and you can use that for fuel, food, hardware, whatever co-op sells. It's just very exciting. I mean, there's going to be so many weeks of this contest. It's incredible. So make sure to listen every week. Make sure to follow on Instagram because uh, sometimes the contest will be on there. So you kind of have to follow both. So to win this $25 this week, make sure you listen to the episode. Then at the end of the episode, I will ask a question. The answer to that question will be in the episode. And you just reply to bunnyhugspodcast at gmail, your answer. Then everyone that answered correctly will be put into a, a draw. A name will be drawn and that person will win $25 from co-op. Now it's important to listen to every week. Some weeks it'll be $50. Some weeks the question may not be at the end of the episode, but rather on Instagram. So you have to make sure to follow me on Instagram, Bunny Hugs Podcast. Be sure to listen to all the episodes and hey, tell other people about the podcast. So many people that consider the podcast a free mental health service because they receive so much free information, inspiration, and encouragement from my guests. It's critical to listen, encourage others to listen, rate, and review on Apple so more folks can find the podcast and maybe hear something that they need to hear. With mental health and addiction services lacking everywhere right now, do someone the favor of just telling them about this podcast. You never know who's going to hear something that they need to hear. And the amazing thing is the podcast, I speak with professionals, loved ones, people that are suffering. So you get all types of perspectives. Now back to this week's episode. Uh, Without further ado, I give you Mike Wallow. I mean, uh, as you know, a lot of mental health is usually something that Either, you know, obviously some of us are born with issues. Some of us have a, a certain trauma. My trauma mm-hmm. was 10,000 pounds of granite dropped in my head mm. and crushed my face to less than three inches wide. And, um, yeah, two and seven eighths. I'm not sure. You guys do the metric system up there. Don't ask me to convert. But, uh, we uh, do both because we still have uh, 
we have boomers that don't understand metrics. So (laughs) wasn't good before the accident, not good after with math, but uh, yeah. So 10,000 pounds of granite dropped on my head um, and literally ripped my face apart. Um, Broke my neck, my shoulders, um, my jaw ripped off, broke that in three. My palate ripped off, broke that in two. My left eye blew out of the socket and was down below where my chin should have been. And uh, my whole face was literally just removed off the skull and, you know, obviously still, still connected by the skin. And, um, yeah, um, helping my friend of, you know, 27 years who owned a granite importing business. And the granite sheets at the, you know, it, it, it's stone that they usually use for kitchen countertops. So they're big flat sheets that are about an inch and a quarter in thickness, seven feet tall, 11 feet long. And uh, they, they ship them overseas on the steel cargo containers um, vertically rather than horizontally. So laying down, they're standing up. And the only supporting the stone. 11 feet tall? Uh, they were seven feet tall, 11 feet oh, long. 11 feet long. Okay, yeah, gotcha, gotcha. Know, oh, and, I see. Instead of flat. Yeah, 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 yeah okay. flat. And I have no idea if this is a, a video release podcast or it's audio only, but... Uh, Hopefully soon. Otherwise, I'll give everybody my web web page to look afterwards. And again, I'm not good at describing it. You know, to be honest with you, without a good visual. But uh, so they ship these vertically, seven feet tall, eleven feet long, um, and in bundles of seven or eight. So the uh, the bundle that shifted um, while I was on my hands and knees waiting for the crane to get set in place. And everybody else to kind of get set in place of you know my job was helping for the day putting a, a load straps underneath the stone and somebody else is doing it at the other end and the crane would lift it up have it you know kind of get uh taunt and um and then i was to knock out the, the wood beams get out of there and they would place it on the ground on some a-frame racks um to store them there so i'm on my hands and knees waiting for everybody to do their thing uh, I hear my friend David screaming at the top of his lungs, and I, and all I'm thinking is, what's he screaming at now? We were just having like one of those days, and nothing was really going going well. I didn't want to help him. I said no that day, and um, you know he begged, and his father begged to help, and and you know I showed up reluctantly, and but uh, I, you know he's screaming, and then all of a sudden uh, the gentleman that was helping me, he comes running from you know the the rear part of the container that's open with the doors. And kind of grabs me by the shoulder and gets me to start running because didn't realize my friend David had saw the sheets were starting to move and they were falling towards me. So and you don't hear it. You're 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 right next to it. It's moving silently, and you just you know when you're next to a wall, you don't notice it moving until okay now you start running. And uh, the last thing I remember is just kind of looking up and seeing a wall coming at me and. David said he, he saw my face and he said, I, I tried to put my shoulder into it to try to stop it, which, you know, wasn't going to do Jack. And um, the, the weight of the stone, which the true weight's 9,600 pounds. I, I exaggerate a lot by saying it's 10,000, but uh, <laughs> the stone slammed into the other wall of the uh, steel container, which we had another bundle of stone there as well, and hit it so hard that the tractor trailer started going up on its side and then uprighted. Um, so that the sound had to be incredible. I mean, it, you had to hear that from so far away, and uh, uh, and it had me pinned by the head. So my point, the point of impact was my my left temple. So it crushed everything from my left temple down. And he said, uh, you know, 
once everything started moving around, uh, the stone was, you know, kind of like a, like an A landing, you know, on top of my temple. And he said the top part of my head was sticking out of the stone and it looked like a big, huge mushroom ready to explode. The bottom part was just blood and just, you know, body parts kind of moving around from my face. And, and I was lifeless. I, I was dead approximately five or six minutes. And, you know, meanwhile, his brother comes running out with his father out of the building. Uh, his brother and I really, you know, were, were, the, were the friends growing up, you know, and the, David was his older brother. And, you know, we all hung out from time to time quite a bit. And they all, you know, obviously went to shock, screaming, crying, you know, anything you do, seeing your friend laying there dead 27 years. And then David kind of just snapped out of it. I, he just went, you know what, we, we have six minutes, I think, to get him breathing again before he has brain damage. Like, let's get off him. So uh, he and his dad get up on the uh, back into the steel container and start redoing all the straps. And the granite, when it fell on my head, it actually went from eight sheets of stone. It broke in half over my head. And now I have 16 pieces of stone on my head. And the 16 pieces are kind of acting like a hinge. So they are screaming at the crane operator to lift it off my head. Crane operator is like, no, let's, let's wait for the fire department to get here, which, you know, the fire department's not going to be able to lift 10,000 pounds of stone, obviously. So, um, <laughs> what are they going to do? Spray you with the water? <laughs> yeah, you know, well, you know, I understand. I, I to, to defend him liability wise in a situation like this, they're kind of instructed like, Hey, it's an accident. Don't do anything. Wait for the proper people to get there. But mm. when you already know I'm dead, dead, like, you know what? Give me a chance. And mm -hmm. so the shop next door, um, was actually a granite fabrication shop. So um, like six or seven uh, of my friends, actually my Brazilian friends own the, the business. And so they come running outside and they start climbing up on the crane. They're going to yank the guy out and just, you know, control it and lift it themselves. So he realized he was going to probably get hurt if he didn't do something. So he just lifts the stone up enough. So my body just drops down and everybody just grabs it just like a sack of potatoes. And uh, the other gentleman that was helping out that day in the back of the container with me, uh, his name was Anthony. You know, he jumped underneath this. Now, the, the, you know, the, the very dangerous situation of, you know, moving stone over me, pulls me out. And then uh, AJ and David and uh, Anthony and um, the father, they kind of lift me upside down to kind of because they couldn't give me mouth to mouth. I don't have a mouth at this point, but they know, OK, well, we need to get breathing and they know I'm probably choking on blood. So obviously kind of cleared out my pathway that way and I started kicking. So that was kind of good news. So, um, so they so started tipped you upside down just to like gravity drain out the exactly. blood in your lungs. Gotcha. Exactly. Okay. So, um, that's pretty so smart thinking. Say, yeah. Yeah. I mean, and once again, who would think of these things, you know, and, and when you're like, okay, he's done, if you saw what they saw and, you know, I know they, they've suffered, you know, you want to talk about mental health and PTSD, like, you know, David, you know, he, he can never talk about it again, probably. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, AJ's stronger. But, I mean, I've ruined their day, you know. And, and, and poor Anthony, it was his birthday. So I ruined his birthday forever. So, um, so. So why am I talking to you then? I should be talking to them. Yeah, exactly. You know, I'll, <laughs> let me look it up. <laughs> but, um, you know, I had the easy part because I didn't witness it. You know, that, that I do feel for them for what they had to, to you know, go through. But um, they took turns holding my head together because, you know, they said they could see inside my skull. So they're kind of trying to keep it closed because of the blood. Mm -hmm. They said it was just pouring out. 
So finally, you know, police officer shows up. He's, you know, he's like, okay, what the hell just happened? So he gets a, uh, a med kit out of the back of his vehicle and kind of slides it over to them. Well, there's nothing in a, you know, first aid kit that's going to do much here. Um, Put a Band-Aid on it. Yeah, in a couple of Band-Aids. Um, <laughs> you know, at this point, I'm losing, they estimated six pints of blood. And a person of my size, back then, I only weighed about 163, 164 pounds. So I only had nine to 10 pints of blood in me. So mm. um, finally, the EMT showed up and they just said, oh, their face is just like, oh, great. This is this isn't good. So threw me in the gurney, bring me in, brought me into the ambulance. Um, I met with the EMTs and after the fact, and they kind of explained to me, yeah, they opened up two one liter um, uh, tainers of blood. And they said it was just going in and going right back out. So they had already called. Uh, a med flight that was on standby down the street at a, a shopping mart. Um, wait, wait, you said leaders. Yes. Yeah. You know, <laughs> does that make sense? You know, give him a gallon of blood or, you know, how about a couple of liters of blood, you know, just a couple, couple pints perhaps, but. <laughs> Do you say leaders because I'm Canadian? Yeah. No, no, that they go by leaders for blood. Here. Oh, weird. Just to really make it confusing <laughs> rather than quartz, I guess, you know, <laughs> Sorry, so, I interrupted. Yeah. Well, you have to have a sense of humor after a trauma like this. You know, I, I think humor helps me get through life. Um, mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, at that point, my body's starting to shut down. You know, you know, vitals are starting to go bad. So med flight grabs hold of me. They, they take me up to Boston, which has a level one trauma center there. You know, the, the best around you can possibly find. Um, I thought I heard a Boston accent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't you love uh, how we park our cars? <laughs> Wicked awesome. Yeah, Wahlberg. Mark Wahlberg must be proud of me right now. <laughs> but uh, oh, ben, ben, ben and Matt must be watching, you know. But uh, <laughs> they, uh, you know, they flew, flew me in there. I had the whole staff waiting there for me. And, and they, they were, you know, amazing, uh, quick response. And um, pulled me in, get me into a, a MRI or a CT scan or probably all the above and um, obviously you had to see what, what hidden traumas out there. And, uh, at that point started notifying family. Um, David had, David and AJ were calling my fa family, like you need to get to the hospital as soon as possible. It's not looking good. And, um, were you yeah, married at this point? I'm sorry. Were you married and kids at this point? No, thank, thank goodness. To be honest with you. Mm -hmm. Um, I was 32 years old. It, it actually, this, this fall will be my 20 year anniversary. So, um, mm -hmm. here it is 20 years later and. You know, life's good. And that's why I need to get the story out there to kind of encourage people. Like, there, there really is a life after a trauma. Um, right. You have to navigate it a little bit differently. You have to, you know, know that you're rewired differently and, and navigate. But, um, yeah. So, so when I, they contacted you know, your family, it was like your parents and... Yeah, parents. Like I have four thing. brothers. Okay. So gotcha. they all go racing in there. Um, the accident happened around 2.20, 2.30 in the afternoon. Um they meet with the, the chief uh, medical surgeon, um, Dr. Hirsch. I, I have to give a shout out to Dr. Hirsch because uh, simply amazing individual. And um, he put together an amazing team for me to get me reconstructed and whatnot. But he, he kind of made it clear, you know, sitting with my family in, in a conference room, like it, 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 it's not good. He's very sick. Um, you, you might want to just go in there and say goodbye, like say what you need to say. So my mm -hmm. brothers um, went in first. Now it's around 9.30 in the evening. Um, uh, you know, obviously I'm, I'm in a coma. I'm, I, you know, I look like hell. At this point, my, the head swelling 
went, my head was larger than a basketball, like literally um, beyond the size of basketball. And they said like my ears were like curled up like little weird, like cauliflowers. And my eyes looked like um, they were so swollen and kind of pushed back into the skull that uh, looked like miniature eggplants because they were so dark and purple. But you could see just two slits. So next thing you know it, my brothers are in there and I wake up. But I can only see like tunnel vision. I can only see down by my feet. I can't really see to the sides. But I see my second oldest brother, uh, Steve, uh, standing by my feet. And I can just, all I notice is wires and cables and tubes all over my chest. So I start trying to get up. And my oldest brother, John, is on my right shoulder. And he's kind of awesome grabs hold of my hand. And like I, I think he just woke up. And the nurse is like, no, that that's that's just not possible. He's he's probably just twitching and so on. And my brother's like, well, he's squeezing my hand. She's like, no, that's not possible. So my brother whispers in my ear, Mike, if you understand what I'm saying, squeeze my hand once for yes, two for no. So, of course, I squeeze as hard as possible. And so now she's like, OK, he can't do that. So my youngest brother, Mark, um, he's down by my uh, left foot. He goes running down the hallway to get my parents who are still in there with the surgeon. My surgeon, you know, the surgeon's like, just said to him, Mike, Mike has a 2% chance of survival. And boom, door gets kicked open and like, Mike's awake. And uh, next, you know, and it's not, I remember it wasn't a very big room, but it filled up like with 14 people in it instantly. It was insane mayhem. Um, doctors, nurses, it, it, it's a, um, a learning hospital as well. So you have a bunch of students with the surgeons as well and um room fills up instantly my family's kind of like high-fiving each other like okay hey there's a chance and uh so now the you know dr hirsch is like everybody out like except for, you know, left my parents in the room and there's are quizzing me and of course i feel like absolute hell i i to describe physical pain your whole body's literally swelling up in agony and all I remember is a nurse handing me a, a little uh, wired remote with a button. And she's like, if you're in any pain, click this button. And I'm, I'm clicking it like a video game. I, I, I couldn't <laughs> stop clicking the remote because... Like a Jeopardy contestant. Literally, exactly. Um, and um, I am pressing that sucker and didn't realize, you know, it's morphine. And, well, morphine for me is not good. It, it was, mm. you know, the hallucinations or horrendous um it it's a it's a yucky feeling to say the least but uh but yeah that kind of got me through a little bit um they i kept on trying to get out of the bed apparently over a course a couple of days i needed reconstruction uh, i had to wait for the swelling to go down they induced me in a coma for a day or two just because i kept on trying to take off because i was convinced with my anxiety now my newborn anxiety like i need to get the hell out of here they're trying to kill me um you know it, i get part of the morphine too well like yeah anxiety it's the morphine it's um i keep having I, I now at this point i have a trach tube i, I broke my neck so i'm wearing a neck brace uh, my mouth's wired shut because obviously it got destroyed i got um i get amazing surgeon surgeon uh, dr rafi dersakissian we gets called in to reconstruct my face. And I believe it was Halloween when he uh, reconstructed it. So I'm in the ICU, more morphine, 
and I'm hallucinating and they have like the radio on and what is on the radio that evening, but like a, uh, a radio um, rendition of um, night of the living dead. I'm like 19 with that 68, 64. If you remember that movie, uh, yeah. well, they apparently had a radio version of it and that's playing and I'm on the morphine and now I'm convinced that they're trying to eat me. Oh so I'm trying to beeline it out of there. Next, you know, the nurses come running in the room because I'm pulling off all the cables, off all the bandages, and they're trying to hold me down. They're like, Michael, you don't you don't want it to be restrained, do you? And, of course, I'm thinking they're trying to eat my brain, so I'm swinging at them. So I get restrained. And, uh, yeah, that, that was the start of having anxiety, having mm. just like, okay, this this is not good. I need to get out of here. Um, you know, a couple of close calls, you know, days later, um, the trach tube would clog up and I'd stop breathing and, you know, without, so finally it got to the point, my mom, after I explained to my, my parents, like, if you leave me here one more day, I'm going to be dead by tomorrow. And at that point, um, you could talk at that point. No, I'm, I'm writing. Oh. I'm writing. Oh, I see. Not, not well, oh. but I'm writing. And I, mm. I, I kept, kept, actually, I still have every single piece of paper that I wrote on. And, um, and I just remember just writing, like, I will be dead by tomorrow afternoon because I kept on choking on what was coming up from the trach tube. And my mom, you know, whipped off the jacket, threw it on the chair and it's like, okay, I'm staying and told my family, my, you know, my brothers, and my father, like, go home, bring me back a suitcase, grab me, you know, clean clothes, this, this and that. She slept on a chair for almost two weeks. I know it was over a week, but it wasn't quite two weeks. And she saved, ended up saving me again that evening. And come to find out, they were, you know, accidental. Um, they were feeding me through a G-tube through my stomach, but they had me recline too much. And that was making it come back up when I was sleeping mm -hmm. through the trach tube and choking. So they, I, you know, new nurse went on shift and my mom told her, hey, this is what's going on. My son keeps choking here. And she's like, well, he's way too reclined. He shouldn't be like that. And so... Um, yeah, so being in a hospital, mm -hmm. I, I can't knock the hospital. I can't knock the care is given to, you know, wonderful people. There might be a couple people that maybe they'd be better. I, I don't even know if I heard them to sweep my garage out, you know, sort of say. You know, <laughs> not trying to be disrespectful, but they kind of sucked at what they did. But then the yeah. rest of them made up for it. The rest of them were un, just unbelievable. Um, the care given them knowing what I'm going through and understanding that, okay, this guy isn't here, just here for some free morphine. This guy's here, you know, serious reconstruction. Um, by the end, uh, I had 110 screws and 20 titanium plates in my face alone. So um, at that point, yeah, it's, uh, mm. um, so I was titanium in the hospital. Mike. Titanium Mike, exactly. So <laughs> I, um, I get released after two weeks. At that point, my swelling was going down, you know, as the doctor saying, like, yeah, okay, we never seen healing go down this quick. So, like, that's amazing. We're going to put you in the books. Like, but you're out of here. You know, like, there's nothing more we can do here. And you just stick around the hospital, you, you know, it's not good because you can get ill and whatnot. So I get sent off to a rehab hospital and kind of start relearning, you know, balance and whatnot because laying in a hospital bed for two weeks, your body literally deteriorates, your muscle, I, I I went from 163, 164 pounds to, I think it was like 139 pounds in two weeks. Mm. And um, so I get to rehab hospital and same thing, slow start. But by the end of the first week, they almost were able to release me because I was just like, okay, I was convinced if I can 
if I can get out of the hospital and he's getting the rehab hospital, uh, I'm, I'll be clear. I'll be I'll be okay. I just needed to get out of the hospital because it's just not a pleasant place. If you can understand, you know, imagine um, the horrors of what you hear in the middle of the night. You don't get the sleep sleep deprivation. They're waking you up. I think it was every forty five minutes to check my vitals. Mm-hmm. So you you go cuckoo, um, not sleeping for you know maybe six seven eight hours. You know that took uh, took some time to get that, but uh, but the rehab hospital I was in there for two weeks. And I was back home in 32 days from post-accident. Hmm. And, uh, and, and that's when my new life began. Yeah. Yeah. What was, so you, did you move in with your parents then or? Yeah, I was fortunate. My parents, you know, lived 10 houses up the street from me. Hmm. So I lived there for about a week and at that, I was just making leaps and bounds every day. I'd, I go off for a walk and try to build up strength. I think and, I'd rather stay in the hospital than my parents' place, to be honest with you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, hey, my mom's, uh, you know, was 100% Sicilian and can cook, like, the most amazing food. <laughs> I had, it, I had it, unfortunately, eat it, you know, through a straw, kind of, you know, it was being pureed because my mouth was wide shut for, like, five or six weeks solid. Um, so that part was really bad. Um, but, uh, no, home care was amazing. And... You know, I kind of felt at that point, like, I want to try to move back into my house. I miss my dogs. You know, my parents brought my dogs up there. But, you know, uh, it, there's no place like home, as you can imagine. But also, to me, I felt like I needed to get to my house, my safety zone. And, mm-hmm. well, now that plants a seed of learning I get agoraphobia, which is, mm-hmm. oh, I, uh, I didn't know what the hell agoraphobia is. It, it's, you know, it, it's the best way to describe it to people is like, you know what? I can leave my house for a short amount of time, but beyond a five mile radius, I, I had a race back home. Like I, I would drive up to my Maine to go visit. My parents had a, a little cottage up in Maine um, at a campgrounds and I drive two and a half, three hours to go see them. And I'd be there for like an hour or so. And like, okay, I think I need to go home. And like, what do you mean? You just got here. You're staying the night. It's like, I, I didn't know I had it, um, but I'd get bad anxiety, you know, What's it? Fear of fight or flight or fight or whatever. Uh, you know, I, I yeah. became fight, flight, freeze or fawn. Yeah. You know, and, and I became really difficult. And this went on for, um, you know, I, I couldn't work for two years. So during that two years, you know, you, you see many doctors, um, you see many, you know, specialists and whatnot. You end up seeing um, a psychiatrist. And, you know, you explain all this to a psychiatrist, but the psychiatrist actually never came out and told me I had agoraphobia. And the most important thing about all this is um, self-awareness. Um, now I'm back up in Maine visiting my parents again. My, so my brothers are up there. We're all going to spend the whole week up there. It's going to be awesome. We're going to go out in Spago Lake, just, you know, hang out on the boat. And um, I get there and, yeah, sure enough, within, you know, an hour being there, I'm like picking fights at all my brothers. Now, mind you, I'm the runt of the litter. I'm, I'm the small, you know, smallest of five boys uh, and, uh, you know, five foot seven on a very good day. And uh, I, I'm picking fights. I'm starting fights for no reason. I'm just looking for excuses to say, fuck it, I'm going home and jump in my truck. I grab my dogs. And I just remember I, I get down the street about know, 10 miles and I just became self-aware. I'm like, this is not me. There's something wrong here. I end up calling my primary physician and I'm like, you know, Dr. Hartman, something's wrong. And I explained to him what just happened. 
He goes, okay, well, hold on. Let me, let me pull your file up. You know, he, he was well aware of everything I was going through and he knew I was seeing a psychiatrist. He goes, Oh Mike, you have moderate, you know, moderate, uh, uh, agoraphobia. I'm like, well, what the hell is that? He sat off. He goes, okay. Obviously, you know, Dr. Michael didn't tell you that. So, um, he goes, what's the closest thing to you? Right aid, CVS. I'm like, yeah, right aid up the street. He goes, I'm going to prescribe something for you to get, get you through the rest of the week. Don't do serious drinking at all on it. It was like, uh, Clonopin, I think. Hmm. Okay. And, yep. Yep. To, and he goes, see me as soon as you get back. And when I got back, he kind of explained what this was. And like I said, I think what helped me was okay. Self-awareness. Um, but I had, I, I had it and I, I had to deal with it. So now I have anxiety. Now I have depression, you know, uh, after your post surgery and, post-accident my head you know the swelling went down quite a bit but you now look like quasimodo's younger uglier brother and mm. you don't want to go out in public because everybody's staring at you so you go out in public people are staring at you people actually you know had no problem coming over and ask me what happened you get a hockey you know hockey stick you know to the face and it's like I wish. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. I'm like, I had 10,000 pounds of granite drop in my head. What, what's your excuse? And I'm like, oh, shit. Why are sorry. you ugly? <laughs> yeah, but, you know, I, I kind of got to the point, like, I started being more proud of the fact, like, yeah, it wasn't a hockey stick. It was 10,000 pounds of granite. And they're like, oh, I'm sorry. I'm like, no, I'm fine with it. Actually, the more I talked about it, the more it helped me. But I kind of started thinking about the people out there who would not be good with that. Like, you know, it... it it's human nature to be curious. So mm -hmm. I understand that. And, you know, we've all done it, you know, especially when we were younger, you know, you'd stare at somebody who might've been missing a limb or, or whatever, or had an accident or, you know, was wearing an eye patch. So of course you stare and you're like, geez, I wonder what happened. So, mm -hmm. so that took a while to, you know, kind of get over people staring, people pointing, um, you know, at this point, AJ, you know, and, and David were coming over all the time and, they know I was kind of regressing and, you know, wouldn't leave the house. So AJ every night, late at night, and I, and I mean six or seven nights a week, would drag me out to the local pub, go out in the back room and just, we'd hang out back there and just, the bartenders all knew me and all that and knew us and, and knew that I'd be, I'd have my privacy back there and, and they'd be protecting me like brothers. And, uh, and that's, you know, that helped me get back to society and overcome some of my fears of, of being out in public and uh you know cool down the anxiety without um you know the the, the psychiatrist did uh, prescribe some type of antidepressant at the time but you know for somebody who doesn't do drugs or never has um you know getting on a, a, a daily pill or that you take i'm not sure how how many times a day um I knew after like a couple of weeks, I'm like, oh, this, this, this isn't for me. I don't like the feelings that are going through my head. You know, you start mm -hmm. to give, you know, I'm not gonna say suicidal thoughts, but closing in on suicidal thoughts. And I, I call the doctor, Mike, I, I want off. And he goes, you can't. Once you start it, you have to do it for, I think, three months. And mm -hmm. you have to, and you can't go cold turkey. You have to wean off of it. I'm like, I, I, are you shitting me? I, I don't want to be honest, but I, I kind of now committed. So once again, self-awareness. Um, I knew I didn't like being on it. I knew I have to let it take its toll and know if it 
a little scary little monster in my head's telling me to harm myself or others, don't do it. And uh, it, and coming off of it was, yeah, really bad. Um, you, you definitely, you know, suicidal thoughts. But uh, but once again, yeah, I knew knew not to do it. Yeah, I know you. You know, I I, I I've left, listened to some of your podcasts, so I know you can appreciate and understand. You know, what what did it take to help you? Self awareness and and obviously a lot of help. It, it, it's you know, I, I've gotten the help. Brutal honesty with yourself. Yes. Yeah. 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 So it, it's um, so I just. You know, time it took it took eight years, eight eight years to get back to normal. Eight years of overcoming my fears, overcoming anxiety, or you know, depression. I couldn't work for two years. And that's based off, okay, you depressed because you have no money in your pocket, you gotta pay the bills, the the dogs are eating better than you. Um, you don't look that great. You don't feel that great. You're in daily pain. At this point, I'm taking nothing for the pain. I, I have some ibuprofen. Um, the doctor was kind of proud of me that I chose, you know, not to get prescribed meds. He's like, don't try to be a superhero. I'm like, no, I can I can tolerate pain during the day. Mm-hmm. It's nighttime that when you're trying to mentally, you know, during the daytime, you, you use your brain to kind of mentally shut off the pain. You just find things to distract you. Yeah, right. trying to sleep at night you just want to go to sleep you don't want to have to think about shutting off the pain so you know still to this day i have that problem of you know not getting great good night's sleep because of just different pain and uh mm. so, so it, 20 years later you still have physical pain from it. yeah i mean i'm also getting older i'm gonna be 52 <laughs> in a couple days so uh you know it's uh you know your back hurts your shoulders are junk you know i can tell you when when i know it's going to rain you know, it's, uh, you know, my facial pain, it's tender in different spots. I have less feeling at certain spots, but more feeling than I should. So I'm kind of grateful for that, uh, especially where I had no mouth. Today's episode of Bunny Hugs and Mental Health is brought to you by Co-op. I've been a member of my local co-op, Sherwood Co-op, for, oh, about 25 years, I think. My co-op is one of more than 150 local independent cooperative associations in more than 600 communities across Western Canada. Co-op is a different kind of business. It's not just a gas bar or a grocery store, although co-op is those things too. At its core, co-op is a group of people working together to help their neighbors and build their community. Co-op members are owners and success is shared with everyone. Your co-op doesn't benefit one person or one corporation. Your co-op was built for everyone. Your co-op was built for your community. Learn more about co-op and find a location near you at co-op.crs. Um, but my, my shoulders, um, you know, I tore the rotator. I broke the clavicle. I uh, fractured my C1 and my C2. I should have been paralyzed. So I'm grateful mm-hmm. to be able to, you know, do everything I do and stay active. But but paying the price is dealing with, with the pain. And, um, you know, does it get old? Yeah. But if it means I get to live old, then sure, let's bring it. You know, you embrace pain. So one way I embrace the pain after after the eight years, I... I let myself get out of shape. You know, when you couldn't eat for the, for like how many weeks because your mouth's wide shut and when you can start eating again, you're going to eat. You're going out every night drinking, you're going to start eating and you have to pack on some weight and you go from, you know, 
140 pounds, you know, uh, when you get out of the hospital to, I got up to like 200. For a short mm. person, that's not good. I look like a weeble. If you remember those from childhood. <laughs> Weebles uh, wobble, but they won't fall down. Exactly. So you know, talking <laughs> about falling down and, you know, getting up is probably falling down, right? And uh, mm. so I see myself in a picture one day that my uh, my niece gave me and I'm like, oh my God, I, I look awful. I have multiple chins. My head's, just, you know, getting to be the size of a basketball. I'm like, this is terrible. So <laughs> I started working out again, started jogging, getting back into shape. And next, you know, David and AJ are uh, playing for a semi-pro football team. And like, hey, you, you want to work out with the team? You'll get in great shape. I'm like, okay. I start working out with the team after a few weeks. Um, you get in fantastic shape working out with the football team, let me tell you. Um, I wasn't wearing pads. I was just doing all the, you know, the, the exercises they do during practices, whatnot, and drills. Next thing you know, it coach comes over to me and goes, hey, enough of this shit. Go get some equipment. Our first game's this Saturday. Why don't you come play? I'm like, coach, are you serious? I'm like, wait, how old are you then? At this point, it was literally, I think it's three, four days before my birthday. So... It's a few weeks before my birthday anyway. So I'm going to be 40 years old. So I'm 39 at this point. And I'm like, coach, I'm twice the age of most of the kids on the team. I got 110 screws and 20 plates holding my face together. And I'm like, what the hell? And, and I'm five foot, you know, six and three quarters, whatever you want to call it on a good day. And he's like, ah, you could be the backup to the backup to the backup. He goes, you know, it would just be good to have more guys on the bench, you know, help mentor the kids. I'm like, okay. Like, I love football. You know, what what position football. was you thinking? Uh, backup, you know, bench warmer, whatever they need, ball boy. <laughs> no, it, it, we figured I'd be the backup to help out on special teams, maybe kick off, kick off returns, that type of thing. Gotcha, gotcha. A couple hours before the first game, coach is sitting there looking at his clipboard, sitting on the ground, chilling out. And he looks at me and goes, hey, Wongo because he can never get my name right. He <laughs> called me Wongo, so Wallow. And he's like, um, you ever play uh, play the line? I'm like, yeah, I played defensive, you know, nose tackle all through high school. And he kind of looked at me like, yeah, all right. I'm like, no, I'm serious. I'm like, they don't expect <laughs> the little guy, uh, you know, against you know the offensive line. And he goes, well, we need help on the line today. I want to save whatever we have for big guys for offense. Can you play defense? And I'm like, absolutely. I'm like, now, mind you, I've been working out with the team for the last how many weeks, but I haven't done a full contact practice yet. So I run out, I get, I had to go get, you know, uh, uh, pads and a helmet and whatnot. I go to shop at like a, a local uh, Dick's Sporting Goods or something like that. I remember, you know, a person comes over to help me. He's like, Can, do you need help? You know, I'm like, yeah, where, you know, where are the adult size, you know, helmets and Pads like okay, well, hold your 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 child. I'm like I don't have any kids. Like, well, who are you buying the equipment for? I'm like me, and like kind of looked at me up and down. Like, oh god. <laughs> like okay, um, well, no, you need to go to the you know semi pro the pro shop down the street. And so okay, so I went down there. It was like the same thing. Like oh okay, hold your kid. I'm like no, it's me. And you know I got gray hairs and stuff. So, <laughs> but I get the equipment, get to the field, and now I get asked to play. So I'm like okay, so boom, we do a kickoff. And now it's time to huddle up. And there I am raising my hand, like, huddle up. And uh, I go to line up against a guy whose name was Weeble. 
That's what his nickname <laughs> was on the team. I think he was six foot, uh, according to the stats, he was six foot two, 360 pounds. And he was just oh. a wall of flesh. So I line God. up. He's playing left tackle. I'm um, playing right. Him. What's that? You speared him. Yeah. No, no. no. So <laughs> ball gets height and I run right by him. He is so big. They're not expecting a little guy to just jump that, that quick. I was actually shocked for being my age that I had a step and a half on him that I kept him getting by him, kept him getting, the, getting to the quarterback and just missing getting, getting a, a quarterback sack and mm-hmm. kept on flushing the quarterback out of the, out of the pocket. So this goes on for like the first half of the game. Now they, they pull out Weeble and bring in this guy who looks like uh, Terry Crews, you know, the former football yeah. player. And Terry, he looks like Terry Crews. He's talking smack. And goes, what, what the fuck are you, the water boy? So he's talking. <laughs> and I say nothing. I, when I play, I'm like, nope, I'm, I'm not going to talk smack because, well, look at me. And after I get by him for like two or three plays, now he's yelling out, Siv, trash talking. Now he's like, I got the little guy on this side because I now we start rotating. I start flip flopping on the either side of the ball, and uh, I end up uh, at halftime. Uh, we go in the locker room, and the coach is like, "Where's my little guy?" He goes, "Okay, that's your position. That's yours." And I ended up playing that for just over two full seasons and retired on my forty wow. third birthday. So Good talking life. about you know dreams, you know playing playing through through pain, it, it was worth it. So I'm like, okay, well, I'm already living with pain. Why not play football? And, you know, as long as I don't, of course, my parents were kind of pissed. Like, you know what? Do we really need to see this happen? But, um, you know, that saying, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. So, I've been crushed by worse with a couple dudes crushing me. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, <laughs> five, 600 pounds worth of bodies laying on you. But, um, you know, did that. And um, during that time, you know, it, it, it was, I was building my confidence because I was very insecure about my height growing up. You know, you, you talk about insecurities, anxiety. I'm like, you know, I'm not a good looking guy. I'm an average looking guy. I'm no Brad Pitt, you know, and and I'm five foot nothing on a good day. So you, you're very insecure talking to women and so on and so forth. And, and now it's post accident. And now you're like, man, I do anything to have my old face back. You know, you, you mm-hmm. sit there and say, what, you know, who am I to bitch over how tall I was and, or how ugly or, you know, plain looking or whatever. But, um, you Am know, I stupid you, too? Yeah, I'm kind of stupid. But, you know, you, you, you sit there and you're like, you have regrets of, man, yeah. missed opportunities growing up. You know what? And come to find out, you know, the doctor that reconstructed me, Dr. D, we call him. Um, you know, he tells me, Mike, you're, you're actually the perfect height. You know, I look at him I'm like, why do you say that? He goes, well, mm. if you were any shorter, your brains would have been squashed. And if you were any taller, you were decapitated. Decapitated. Yeah. So it took me, you know, getting my head crushed to get over insecurities. And, you know, I feel indestructible. Now. I don't give a shit how tall or how big you are. You know, it's not about how big you are. It's, it's about who you are as a person. And, uh, post-accident, trying to find myself again of who the new Mike is. And, and mm-hmm. I'm a more I'm more confident now in my life than I ever have been in my life. And I'm more successful now. I work harder. I'm more driven now. I have to concentrate twice as hard. I mean, I had a traumatic brain injury. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you had to relearn. I was going to ask that if it, oh. it, if it uh, affected your brain. Yeah, I mean, it, you know, I didn't notice it. 
when I was in the rehab hospital and you meet with the specialist and they're trying to have you do games or word games. And I, I, I just want to get the hell out of it. I just want to go home. And I didn't understand why they were doing this. I'm like, I don't want to take another test. I just, I already did all that in high school and college, but I didn't realize they're testing me for a brain injury. So my parents come, my mom calls me at the hospital um, and she's crying. And my mom, you know, is, is tough like a pit bull, you know, and, um, there she was crying saying, well, you know, Dr. So-and-so called, she said you had a, you know, a brain injury, you know, and I'm like, what? I, I don't think I have a brain injury. I'm pissed now. So I, I go wheeling down the wheelchair down to her office, kick open the door. I'm like, Hey, like brain injury, who the hell, you know, you didn't have my permission to tell my mother that, like, I don't think I have a brain injury at this point. Now that the trach tube's kind of removed, I have to kind of like hold something over it to kind of, kind of speak. Mm. And um, at that point, um, she well, you didn't test well. I'm like, yeah, but the test you give me, I don't want to do. Like, I just want to get out of here. She'll really, like, say, like, what did you do for work before the accident? Like, well, I was a kitchen and home designer. So, yeah. I'm like, yeah. And I saw the kind of office. I'm like, want me to design a kitchen in here right now for you? She goes, oh, yeah, sure. So, I'm like, Okay. Where would you want your refrigerator? Where would you want your sink? You know, they're all, oh, well, I want my sink here. I want my microwave here. And I'm like, well, you can't put the microwave in the corner because the cabinet next to it won't open because it's slam against it. You can't put your oven right there because it's next to your trash and that's going to, you know, create bacteria. So I start coming up with all these obstacles. Oh, you don't have the 36 inch clearance for ADA requirements. So she's like, oh, shit. Because she gave me a tape measure. I was going around the room measuring. So, my mother gets a phone call the next day saying he doesn't have a brain injury. Mm. I might've regretted that later if I knew then what I know now and that, you know, because I have a lawsuit from the companies that caused the accident. I did have a traumatic brain injury and it was my own pride in trying to calm my, my parents that I'm fine. I don't have a brain injury, but now mm. I have two little boys. I read to them every night and I hear what I'm saying and what I'm reading and what I'm seeing what I'm reading. Don't drive. I, I'm reading the wrong words. I'm doing stuff. I'm also dyslexic. <laughs> Why don't we just keep it going, right? But um, so that was a different obstacle in life to have to navigate through. You got anxiety, depression, sleep deprivation, um, traumatic PTSD. brain injury. PTSD. Although, like I said, that part, like me watching TV and have like a hospital scene on TV and listening to all the beeps and shit. Yeah. I don't like that. Uh, um, right. I'm better. Do you don't remember the actual, the actual accident. Do you remember? That part doesn't bother me. In fact, the first piece uh, of granite that hit me in the head, that's my bathroom right now. Payback's a bitch. I, no, really? I had to make a countertop out of it. So, ah, uh, that's amazing. So, you know, called facing your fears. And sometimes you might have to have a little sick sense of humor. Like, Company thought I was crazy. Dude, I, I, I don't give a shit. Just hose off the blood. And let's, you know, make it into make it a nice... gravestone. Yeah, yeah. The whole <laughs> I get too far ahead, but but yeah. No, but, you know, it, it's um. So I've done well with that. Once again, it took it took eight years, and 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 it took a lot of self awareness and and kind of you know relearn what you want, what you don't want in life, and um, you know, you have your you had your good days, you had bad days, but. Since I met my wife, it's mostly good days. I'll tell you. I mean, when it's a bad day, it's only because I burnt dinner or something, getting it ready right. for the surprise wife. Or, you know, like it, it's it's minor shit. 
And, yeah. you know, I, I am grateful, extremely grateful of where I'm at now because um, the support system I had is why I'm here. You know, my family, my friends, uh, there's people out there who don't have a great support system or have zero support system. And I can understand mental health because what I just dealt with, I had the tools to help me. But there's people out there who don't have the tools. You know, you, you, you talk about healthcare systems, pretty effed up, you know, I, I, and you're up in Canada. It's, you know, I, I think it's better up there than it is down here in the States. Well, but, you it's know, free, it's free, but it can be effed up too. It, well, exactly. It's free, but, you know, are you, are you waiting a long time to get the doctor you really want or you have to settle the one that like, okay, well, here's a kid just came out of college and you're going to get that doctor instead who doesn't have the experience. Mm -hmm. So you have to take the good and the bad and, and um, pray that you, you make it to the right side of things. And, and you know, medications, you know, getting the red, right medications for the right individuals. I, I was fortunate to know that the meds I was, was trying didn't work for me and I didn't, and I really did not want to be on meds. So I had to work a lot to figure out a way, how could we not have, you know, knee meds and navigate and be a good person and be, a, you know, something in society that's not a psycho. So, so through that eight years, did you see a counselor or a therapist or any kind of professional? Yeah. Yep. I did. Okay. Um, you know, that, that definitely helped. You know, at, at times you were sitting there going like, you know, is this really helping? But you don't see it until some time has passed and you, and you compare notes as to, you know, when you first started seeing them to near the end of seeing them and say, right. well, you know, I did make, make strides. And you get to the point, I think you know when you want, I don't need this anymore. I'm, I'm in a good place. And once again, it, it, everything around me, I was fortunate it was going in the right direction. You know, I um 2010 you know the housing market collapsed i get laid off from being a kitchen home designer i go back into telecom field because that's what i was doing during college and after college for a while and i've been doing that i work for a great company and you know uh, kind of feel like we we kick ass together it's a good match um it's a good company and they they're aware of you know yeah i had a you know accident and all that and they're, they're they encouraged me, like, you got an idea, so spit it out, kid. And, you know, I, I... They still call you kid? Sometimes. I'm an immature guy. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a big kid. Let me tell you, I uh, I think anybody in my work you talk to will tell you I'm a big kid. I you know, I still work, watch cartoons. Why not, you know? Every <laughs> every Saturday morning, you know, the boys and I are watching old, uh, you know, Looney Tunes, you know? They're trying to drop anvils in my head now, but... Uh, so it's time again for that Some Bunny special. Uh, it's a segment where we chat about who cooperated in your mental health journey and helped fulfill your emotional tank, brought to you by Co-op. So, so who was who was there for you? I mean, I'm sure there's more than one but person, but it uh, could have been your dog, could have been a doctor, could have been well, a loved one. You know what? I, I got to say, um, you know, David and AJ, my parents, my brothers, I mean, it, it's hard to really give more attention to one person, not the other. Like there's, <laughs> right. there's just so many, you know, it takes a village, so to speak. Yeah. Um, yeah. But David and AJ, I think dragged me out every night for, for how many years and, and actually, you know, getting on my journey of, you know, fulfilling a dream of playing semi-pro football at 40 years old, like that. I, some people might say I was insane, but you know what? 
people with mental health, you know, health issues, like actually it was, it was fantastic, you know, get things, you know, off your mind and put it on in your physical activity, you know, mm-hmm. keeping physical keeps a healthy mind in my opinion. So. And that built your confidence up. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you, you met a woman and you were short, ugly, and stupid. Yeah. You know, she lost a bet. <laughs> <obviously>. <laughs> Actually, you, you want to bet you're, you're on the bunny hugs podcast. So I'm going to tell you why bunnies mean a lot to my wife and I, um, okay. my wife, her two older brothers, her oldest brother and I, uh, really, really good friends in high school. Uh, they moved here from Alabama, um, my sophomore year of high school. My wife is 10 years younger than me. So, wow, uh, well done. Yeah. Yeah. Like I said, <laughs> she lost a bet. So you'll like this. Um, so I called the house one day. And her brother, Rob, answers the phone. I hear yelling, screaming in the background. And um, and I'm like, what, what's going on? He goes, ah, Becca's, you know, rabbit died this morning. She's, you know, inconsolable. She, she's, you know, house is in lockdown. It's brutal. I felt terrible. You know, uh, I'm like, okay, I'm 17. She's seven. So I, I had just fixed my Jeep. I just put a new clutch in it. And so I, I drove down to the local mall and the little pet store, and I bought her a new bunny. And came back, gave it to her, and she never forgot that. And uh, Scamper was his name, and he lived for eight years, which I guess is very long for a rabbit. But uh, that's something later in life that helped me uh, because, you know, here it is 30-some-odd years later, and um, she always, you know, I, I guess a special place in her heart, I, you mm. know, I, I had for her. And uh, so uh, when that's all great. Sudden, we're hanging out again and she kissed me. I'm like, Oh, wait a minute. Like I got to talk to your brothers about this. Like, I'm a big girl. I know what I'm doing. It's not a rebound thing or anything. She's like, Nope, you gave me a bunny and, and, uh, well, you know, good deeds go unpunished. So, ah. so wow. That was a, that bunny was a real investment worth every penny, <laughs> every penny. So highly recommend it. Uh, I, I'm curious, uh, how like the, the, the folks that, got you in to help that day there must have been a lot of guilt and shame and just all types of so and, and have you forgiven them or is it like course. how's your relationship you know um you know it was david who called me that morning um begging me to help him that day and i'm like no i don't like helping you out with that stuff it's it's dangerous i didn't like mm-hmm. it i'd help him out once in a while um but i was a kitchen home designer i had no experience being what they would call a, a rigger and I don't do rigging. I just, you know, yeah, I'll help drive a forklift once in a while, but like, I don't want to do it. Mm-hmm. And um, he called me like two or three times that morning. And I remember it was a Friday morning. It was a beautiful autumn day. Um, I had just taken my dogs out for a walk. So um, next, you know, his dad gives me a call. And his dad's just a really, really nice man. It's just a hard person not to like. And he calls me, he goes, Mike. Look, I promise it'll be the last time we bug you for it. It's just we need somebody to experience. Hey, I pulled in uh, Ellen's uh, son Anthony to help out. Uh, Ellen was the office manager at the time, and uh, you know none of us never met him before. But he's like, you know, you know, come on down. Uh, truck should be here mid morning, and um, you know, this, I'll take care of you. And um, so, of course, they felt really guilty after all this. Mm. And mm-hmm. but I look at it as well. Don't be because, you know, I, I do believe in destiny and it was destined to happen. Everything that happened that day was not caused by us. Just to make that clear, it was other parties, the steel mm-hmm. container that was used to package all the, the granite. 
one thing, there was eight bundles of stone in there. Okay, each bundle weighed about 10,000. I'm sorry, it was six bundles of stone. And the total weighed about 60,000 pounds in a steel container that looked like they dredged out of Boston Harbor. It mm -hmm. was looked like it was rolled over a few times, dented up, rusted. So when that pulled up, we're like, what the hell is this thing? So I, I, um, I know it was hard for David for quite some time, you know, to, you know, I, I still have the piece of paper in the hospital and it, they wouldn't tell me everything that happened. They wouldn't let me look in the mirror because mm. they really knew that that would be a hard thing for me to do. Um, but I, I wrote, you know, on a piece of paper, hero, and it was an arrow pointed to him. And he, and he kind of like looked away, like, eh, you know, you could tell he was uneasy about it. But he, he was the hero because it was his thinking that, you know, he always thought of himself as being, you know, dumb. I'm not the smartest guy, you know, in high school and this is not. Um, and um, but it's something he thought of from when he was in, I think, middle school that um, you learned that the human brain can go without oxygen for like six minutes. So if he didn't think of that, where would I be right now? And mm -hmm. uh, and, and and at the same time, David, um, you know, he ended up graduating from Boston College with high honors, you know. So uh, he had mm. it took some time. He took a couple of years off, uh, you know, after after high school, and you know, lived out in California for a while, and came home destined to like, you know, I I I want to go to college. And uh, he had to work, you know, three times as hard as anybody else because he had a learning disability for himself to to be successful at uh, learning. But um, mm. and and you know, AJ, I think. You know, same thing. I, I think AJ is mentally stronger about things. And, and I think he had some guilt that at the beginning that it was his family that, you know, possibly caused it. But like, no, it's shit happens. It, you know, it, it really was an accident. It wasn't like, you know, somebody pushed it over on top of my head. But uh, no, I, I um, never had any any bad feelings of towards any of them. Um, if anything, I have a lot of disappointment in the people who packaged it, who shipped it who received it here in the United States when it came over from Italy, like a lot of mm -hmm. people failed at what they do for work. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I used to load containers uh, at one job I had and how no one died. I don't know. Like we, we built farm equipment and it, like we wouldn't assemble it. We'd send it over in these big parts and there was big metal frames. Like, man, if there was like a, uh, mm, Occupational health and safety. Yeah. OSHA in in OSHA in the United yeah. States. Yeah. It's it's OSHA. Yeah, yeah, same here. Uh, so if they would have showed up the days that we were doing that, man, we would be shut down so freaking fast. And I was like twenty one years old, like it was just a bunch of kids, and fuck, yeah, I don't know how we didn't kill somebody. <laughs> yeah, it, it's it's simply amazing. The the steel container that was used, the steel I beams underneath the container were all bent and twisted from previous accidents. So the floor was bouncing God. up and down while we were trying to get the stone unloaded. Like it was acting like a trampoline and um, maybe it didn't help that the, you know, tractor trail is also pulled up slightly on an incline and nothing to stabilize it from rolling back and forth uh, mm. side to side. But, perfect yeah. storm. Yeah. Literally perfect storm. Hmm. Uh, you know, when you leave work or something, you say, Oh, goodbye to your coworkers. And then like two minutes later, run into them in the hallway again. It's like awkward. It's like, you have to say goodbye again. Is, is that what it's like for, for all your friends and family that said goodbye to you in the hospital? <laughs> uh, you know, it, it, you know, it, you know it, it's, uh, 
like, yeah, you know what? Never mind. (laughs) No, talking to my family after the fact of like the hardest thing being told is, Hey, you you know, Mike has a 2% chance of living and time to go in there and say goodbye. And screw you. I'm not going yet guys. And, and uh, (laughs) it's, you know, but hearing them talk about, it's probably the hardest thing, you know, hearing my brothers or my, uh, my, I've lost both my parents since all this, but you know, hearing their versions of what happened is very hard. You don't like oh, this, I, you know, God, I, can imagine. I, I, I aged my parents greatly in that, you know, those months, you know, it was just, uh, you can see it on people when, you know, when I was in the, when I was in the hospital, my mom made it so that, look, don't let Mike see himself in the mirror. Don't offer any mirrors. Don't let him use the bathroom because of the mirror in there. So they set up a hopper next to the bed and kind of encouraged me like, okay, if you have to, you know, go to the bathroom, you know, just, uh, use the hopper next to the bed. And then after a while, everybody come in to see you and, and, you know, people who have not braced themselves well. And they, you get to read people's faces looking at you yeah. and like, Oh shit. Like, yeah, you know, uh, the, you know, the, the movie, uh, Goonies, the movie Goonies. <laughs> yeah. when kids, I look like sloths, shorter, uglier brother. That's how, cause my head was. So finally, after a while in, in you know, you're reading faces and then uh, they sent in a nurse to, to shave, give me a shave. And he's shaving me with like the dullest rate, you know, disposable razor possible. Then he's like, and finally I'm like, okay, on my good side, of my face, I'm like, can you, can you stop? I, I, I feel that. And he's like, okay, we're all done. And he, he grabs the mirror. See, you look great. And I kind of like remember looking, I'm like, huh? And then I went to like kind of grab it with my good arm and say, like, okay, got to go. And like he bolts out because he realized he screwed up. Yeah. So now I'm like, Hmm. So I just remember kind of getting myself out of the bed and, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm connected up to like all these like IV bags, like on the carts and computer things or what, you know, whatever the hell they are, monitors. <laughs> um, something I like to smash at this point because those beeping noises are worse. But I, mm-hmm. I start rolling around to get to the restroom and now my mom comes back in the room. She sees me. She's like, where are you going? And I'm like, I point to the bathroom. She's like, oh, no, we got to hop right here. The nurse have walked in two at the same time. And so the two of them are trying to beg me to, no, we got to hop right here. And I'm like, and I grab a piece of paper. I'm like, I want to look in the mirror. And the nurse kind of looked at my mom like, oh, shit. I'm like, I'll be back. And I went into the bathroom and I, I stared, um, you know, what felt like an eternity, but probably for, I was probably in there for like a minute or two. And, and I, that's when I saw the horror mm-hmm. of, yeah, I look like sloth. Just um, my left eye that blew out of my head um, was moving around on its own and not looking at anything I was trying to look at. And my right eye, all the blood vessels had blown out of it. So it looked like, you know, the devil's eye or something. And my head being uh, the size of a basketball, but also wasn't symmetrical. So it's like kind of pointy and, you know, like sloths from Goonies. And mm. they're probably going to sue me for infringement uh, rights here or whatever. But, uh, <laughs> um, and then, you know, my, my lips were mangled because uh, the way Dr. Durst and Kissing rebuilt me. They actually went into my mouth and pulled back my lips and inserted a bunch of screws in that way. So everything here looked like like Mike Tyson beat the shit out of me, but I beat him with my face. So um, I just look like hell. And all I remember is just saying, well, life's over. Guess I'm never going to have children. Kids are going to run you know, away from me. And what woman would ever want anything to do with me? And, you know, you, you, you feel... Uh, at that point, um, oh, like 
I'm a loser, not, not so much a loser, but you know, life's over, poor me. I give up and I, I went back into the room and I just sat in a chair looking out the window for a while and that's, I, I got my mother crying and I felt terrible. And at that point I said, okay, I'm getting the fuck out of this place. And I said, you know, I started walking that day continuously every day from that point on to kind of build up momentum to get the hell out. Hmm. So it was motivation in a way. <laughs> What's that? It was almost motivation in a way seeing yourself. You're like, well. It was. I was convinced if I could just get the hell out of here, I'll live. Um, I, you know, I was kind of getting upset with just, um, you know, when you're laying in a hospital bed all day, your body absolutely is in agony from just like the back of my head. You just touch it in the pain from just being on a pillow all day. Mm-hmm. And you can't eat. But every flipping you know time the carts the food carts would go by they park in front of my room and this gigantic italian nose can smell you know the food coming down the hallway and and (laughs) and everything on tv was like commercials for food like this is so freaking mean i just want to get the hell out of here you know (laughs) it's but i i still remember when they finally came in after like now i'm on the second week like we're gonna let you try some food even though my mouth's wide shut but like, you know, we'll let you try to take, you know, take some food orally and see how you do with them. Okay. And like, I get over to the chair, they, you know, give me a, uh, a tray of, and I, I remember it was jello and they gave me a straw and then they gave me some chicken broth, like a bouillon cube and water, mm-hmm. which tasted amazing. Don't, you know, like, oh, that was mm-hmm. so good. You know, I'm trying to drink it, but I can't feel I have no feeling in my face, so it's just pouring down on me, and I don't give a shit. Now I'm trying to suck Jello through a straw. You ever suck Jello through a straw? It's, it's not <laughs> possible, you know. And finally, I got pissed off. I'm like, okay, because I can't move my lips to kind of get them tied around the straw. So I remember just I look at my mother, and she like looks at me, and I just grab the the Jello, and I start jamming it in between my teeth <laughs> and trying to get it. And I look like remember the movie uh, A Christmas Story. The little boy, yeah, yeah. Who, you know, the mom is like, show mommy how a piggy eats. And he said, I, I'm eating everything. I'm just <laughs> chewing it in my mouth. And my mom and I were laughing our asses off because at this point, I'm just grateful to be getting food. And the, you could taste it and how amazing it, you know, it, you know it was just an amazing feeling to like put food in your mouth again after two weeks. And because uh, let me tell you, getting fed through a G tube sucks. Mm. Having a trach tube sucks. If anybody listening, knows anybody who's on a trach tube i can assure you that that person is going through hell and to please be patient with them and help them any which way because they're going to want support because you're just going to want to grab the end of that trach tube and fill with gasoline and light it because it Mm. sucked so Mm. um remind me not to get my head crushed by anything yeah don't go near you know granite that's stacked really in a messed up sort of way i mean as you know, you were you you used to load you know steel cargo containers. Imagine <laughs> using about twenty dollars worth of Italian two by three Italian lumber. So it's two inches by three inches. Excuse and me. That, that that that's the width of what your head went right. That yes. piece of block, that piece of wood stopped it. Exactly. So I wish Jesus. I was able to keep that piece of wood of the point of impact. But we measured it and it was two and seven eighths. But I couldn't take this as evidence at the time. But yeah, you know, in and you know the granite that fell on me broke in half vertically. But also mm-hmm. the wall of stone that was on the other side that we slammed up against, we broke all that horizontally. 
So I went for a Guinness Book of World Records to see if they had anything for that, but they're like, no, not exactly. No category <laughs> for that. So most most <laughs> uh, granite on head. Well, anything you wanted to add before, uh, um, or, or anything I didn't this? ask? Uh, I really enjoy your show. Um, <laughs> oh, thanks. Uh, keep keep it up. Thank you so much for having me on. I, I greatly appreciate it. Um, you know, it makes me happy getting my story out there to help others. I mean, there there's so many people in the world who who had a, a trauma, who have, you know, who still have, you know, anxiety, depression, agoraphobia. Agoraphobia, you know, sucked. Um, mm. And um, I know I'm going to go off on a tangent real quick, but the way I got over agoraphobia, I took on a job that required me to drive 1,500 to 2,000 miles a day. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry, a week. That's, I was going to say, holy shit, how fast yeah, are you driving? <laughs> yeah, I was killing me sitting in a car all day. But, um, but that that's what I, I kind of had to do to kind of, when I started, you know, my eight-year journey of getting back to being normal, I had to come up with antidotes myself. I'm like, okay, well, if I don't want to be medicated, what am I going to do to distract myself, you know, to overcome some some issues? And I took on a job that required that much travel, and that helped me greatly. And mm-hmm. um, when I do overnight, baby step, it's yeah, like you're, it, baby you're still, uh, you were still kind of in your safe spot with your cab or your whatever you're driving. And yeah, not just yeah, regular so. automobile, you know, throughout New England, you know, uh, I'm in telecom. So my company designs uh, engineers, like anything that's like cell tower related. I design fiber optic pathways now, like not bad for a guy who had a traumatic brain injury and didn't think he'd do more than lick stamps after, after I'm a, once again, these platforms are out there to help people like you and I. Um, I, I feel talking about your problems helps helps men, um, at least for me. Um, I'm a true believer. What doesn't kill you makes you stronger. And, um, you know, anxiety, everybody has anxiety. If somebody says they don't have you know, anxiety, they're full of shit. Yeah. I don't care. I'm anxious All, to tell you about it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think it takes more of a, of a man or person to be able to admit they have a problem and that's just half the battle is admitting like there's something wrong whether it's you know the depression or anxiety and knowing there's no harm in asking for help there's no you know you gotta get off your pride you know like like i need help and know when you need help and uh, i'm grateful for like such a support system and grateful for the opportunity of sharing my story with you guys and really appreciate it Thank you so much, Mike. That was amazing. You're such a inspiration, I'll say. Mike's a really great guy. We we've chatted quite um, well a few times now, back and forth on on messages. But uh, he stuck around, and we, we had a good chat for about a half an hour after the interview. So just a super nice, inspirational, encouraging guy. You can follow Mike on Instagram at titanium underscore Mike one ten. Okay, who wants to win some money? from co-op. So here's your question. When Mike first met his wife, when she was younger, what did he buy her? Send your answer to bunnyhugspodcast at gmail. Follow Instagram, bunnyhugspodcast. You've got five days to answer. So if you are listening to this on Friday, September 1st, you're too late. But that's all right, because you can listen to that week's episode and enter. So that means you have until Wednesday, August 30th, Send your answer to bunnyhugspodcast at gmail. 
I will be putting the winner up on Instagram at Bunny Hugs Podcast. And also, uh, I'll announce it on next week's episode. That question again. When Mike first met his wife when they were young teenagers, what did Mike buy his wife, then best friend's little sister? Okay, there you go. Thank you so much, Co-op, for your sponsorship and for these amazing gifts. And thank you, Sun, Saskatchewan Unit of Nurses, for your sponsorship. And thank you, everyone, for listening. Be sure to tell people about the podcast uh, slash free mental health service and keep listening. And don't forget to please make your beds and take your meds. Bye. Registered nurses are on the front lines of this nursing crisis right now. I feel like we don't have all of the resources and the tools and the staff to ensure patient safety 100% of the time. Everyone is trying their best, but it's not sustainable the way we're going right now. There needs to be something changing. The nurses across Saskatchewan need to be involved in conversations with the government to try and find solutions. We have ideas, we just need to be involved. This has been a message from the Saskatchewan Union of Nurses.